Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. All right, so as we uh, have this awesome opportunity to gather, I don't know about everyone else, but these Fridays I always look forward to because it is a moment to, to be able to pivot and be with people we trust, people we love, people that are headed the same direction. That is such a rare commodity uh, in so many people's lives today, to have those that would uplift, watch over, um, that you can rely on is a very rare thing in the world today. Um, a beautiful part about this family is obviously everyone's been reading this Torah portion, like spending their time in it. And this is one that is, well, definitely for us was uncomfortable to read as a family. Um, but to know that there is a fullness in it and to be willing to position ourselves to like this is an easy one to dismiss ourselves from uh those who didn't get to hear uh megan had positioned us so well on, on kingdom air so if, if you're not a boxer but just to hear that being able to see where sodom and gomorrah is in me where are areas in my life that uh, in a sense like lust is using taking advantage of somebody else or like benefiting myself at the expense of someone else and meaning it, it can be in any kind of an action and that was so prevalent within um sodom and gomorrah and so like being willing to look at where are areas that i have taken advantage for myself someone else that that being willingness like willing to be read to see like where where am i here it's easy to put yourself in the the right standing side but being willing to look at everything is where we find the fullness and where we find truth so i know a lot has been um prepared for tonight and so i do have trading floor cash uh so anybody who need either get my attention or whatnot but i'll be in the corner here um if you need to get trading floor cash and that's just to interact with an exchange with heaven the words that are dispensed, the things that are, are, are poured out here, um, if it moves you, if it's something you need, if it's a promise you're looking for, being able to tie to those things, uh, that action of dispensing uh, is how we tie ourselves to, to more. So I'll have that for us over there. That's good, dear. Amen. Okay, you guys, I want everyone to look at the screen. Part of our environment tonight is this picture that will stay up throughout service. And uh, Eric specifically picked this picture. You can see there's a person standing there right in the middle of all that light. But all around, all around them, or if you can insert yourself into the picture, all around you is everything outside of Yahweh, everything outside of himself that isn't of him and isn't who he wants us to be. So as we 
continue to insert ourselves into scripture and into Torah to receive truth about who he is. Mom and Dad said it last week that as he reintroduces himself to us, he's actually reintroducing ourselves to ourselves. We are becoming familiar with who we were originally created to be. And as we stand in that place of light and as we stand in that place of truth, he is displacing everything that is not of him. So the word for tonight um, that was spoken to the environment, there's greenery around um, that just represents strength, strength in the conditions around you. Um, and specifically, as Yahweh appears, so as we stand there and he introduces himself and he appears to us, Eric uh, received the word shalom as the environment tonight. So I want us to just take a minute to engage with all that shalom actually means. So shalom is coming in close, leaning in and receiving his mysteries. As you receive those mysteries, there's a connection that creates unity. In that place, you begin to learn and engage with knowledge and are moved to action as you're able to teach what you've learned. It puts us in a position to look at what we've been given, to hold on tight and to make the choice to not let go. So tonight, as we position ourselves to be completely emptied of anything that we would come in with, any any idea of who he is or how he is or what we should be engaging with, we release all of that and lean in closely to him and lean in close to the strength and the peace that comes as you engage with the one who created you. And we just give Yahweh's permission tonight to release the truth of his character. So tonight, I just wanted to honor you guys as a family that when Dad released last week about what it means to uh, set a tone in a room to, to create that place of hospitality, that this is a family that stands in a place of righteousness. That as we stand and we engage, that literally when Dad said, you're hosting, you're um, honoring strangers in your land. As we step into Shabbat, let right now be the moment that we open the doors, that we open our heart, that we open up ourselves to host strangers in the sense of we're hosting heaven and all that comes with it. The hosts of heaven are here. And so we engage with that tonight. We're just going to uh, move into service. And Dad, we just um, just really want to honor you for being um, a father that draws near to the Father. That this family can absolutely say that the reason we are willing to uh, lay everything down and allow him to reintroduce himself is because you have been willing to lay everything down 
to, to learn who he is. And so we follow you in that, and we honor you for that, and we just thank you for um, being willing to go first in receiving the truth of who he is so that it can be dispensed over our families. Megan, can I have you light the candles for us? Now, Megan, usher us in the Shabbat officially here. Uh, you were reading tonight, right? It's a fun one, right? Come on, come on up. We'll just we're just gonna jump in with it. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, while Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. Then he said. Here, please, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. Spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can get up early and go on your way. But they said, No, we will spend the night in the open plaza. But he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him, and they came into his house. He prepared a feast for them and baked matzah, and they ate. <clears throat> they had not yet lain down when the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, from youth to elderly, all the people without exception. And they called out to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, don't act wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who haven't been intimate with the man. Please let me bring them out to you. Do to them whatever is good in your eyes. However, do nothing to these men, since they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they said. And they said, this one came as an outsider and dares to judge. Now we'll treat you worse than them. So they strongly pressed against the man Lot and moved in close to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. Then they struck the men at the doorway of the house with blindness, from youth to elderly, so that they gave up trying to find the doorway. Then the men said to Lot, Who else related to you is still here? A son-in-law, your sons and your daughters, whoever else related to you in the city, bring them out of, that, of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before Adonai that Adonai has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get out of this place for Adonai is about to destroy the city. But in the eyes of his sons-in-law, he was like a joker. So when the morning dawned, the angels rushed Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be swept away with the city's iniquity. But he hesitated. So the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and his two daughters' hands, because of Adonai's compassion for him, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. When they brought them outside, one said, Flee for your life, do not look behind you, and do not stop anywhere in the surrounding area. Escape to the hills, or else you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lord, please, look, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have magnified your merciful loyalty, which you have shown me by letting me live. <clears throat> but I can't escape to the hill country, for the disaster will take, overtake me, and I'll die. Look, please, this city is close enough to flee there, and it's little. Please let me escape there. Isn't it small? And let me live. So he said to him, Behold, I will grant your request concerning this matter too, not to demolish the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, flee to safety there, because I cannot do anything until you arrive there. 
This is why the town is named Zoar. The moment the sun rose up upon the land, Lot entered Zoar, and Adonai rained sulfur and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah from Adonai out of the sky. So he demolished these cities and the whole surrounding area, all the inhabitants of the cities and the vegetation of the ground. But his wife looked behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now Abraham rose early in the morning to the place where he had stood before Adonai, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the entire land of the surrounding area and saw, Behold, the smoke of the land ascended like smoke from a furnace. So it was, as God destroyed the cities of the surrounding area, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up from Zoar and dwelled on the mountain, his two daughters with him, because he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. So he lived in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man in the land to come to us, as is the custom of the whole land. <clears throat> come on, let's make our father drink wine, so that we can lie with him and keep the seed from our father alive. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn came and lay down with her father. Yet he did not know what she that she lay down and got up. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, See, I slept with my father last night. Let's make him drink wine tonight as well. Come on, sleep with him so that we'll keep the seed from our father alive. So they made their father drink wine that night as well. And the younger got up and lay down with him, and he did not know that, that she lay down and got up. So Lot's two daughters became pregnant by their father. Then the firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the ancestor of the Moabites to this day. The younger also gave birth to a son and named him Ben-Ami. He is the ancestor of the sons of Ammon to this day. Made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Made it. <laughs> All right, let's grab your uh, communion elements. All right, so as we um, take communion tonight and just declare that this Torah portion is written on our heart, I just pray that we would be able to declare that um, regardless of our understanding or confusion or the difficulty of these scriptures that we can have faith in Yahweh's character yeah. that we've been learning about, right. even yeah. in the midst of wrestling with these yeah. hard things. So when you're ready, this Torah portion is written on my heart. In Yahweh, I know there's a lot of elements and dynamics in these scriptures, but whatever your intent is for night, that that would be established. I want to I wanna ask what... Like what did what was the thing that stuck out the most in this chapter? What what was like the the hardest thing or you know, whatever stuck out to you guys, like what you could just say it about this chapter. I was so confused on where Lot's wife like was she in front of the cave or was she like in front of the tent when she where she turned to solve really the fuzzy all what else? The part of uh, offering his daughter as a father. I don't know how I could ever tell him to read The intensity yeah. had to be far more. Yeah, that was the thing I had a hard time with. It was compromised. Compromised. I saw honor, and I saw honor in that. In the offering. 
Is that what stuck out to you? Yeah, honor throughout that whole okay. stage the daughter thing, but yeah, how yeah. Lot honored mm -hmm. and how he remembered. Yeah. And how it just was natural and how many times he did it and then how Yahweh responded by honoring him as well. Mm. I think when um, when the angels when they hesitated and they like grabbed their hands because of that compassion and like moved them out of the house. I that. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like I mean, all these Torah portions are are super revelatory, but the amount of elements in this one was just like it's hard to to feel led on where like what to focus on, right? In a small amount of time. Um, before I get into it, I wanted to take a step back on a few Torah portions back. So Genesis chapters 12 through 17 is, if you look at Torah portions, there's like, they'll group Torah portions together based on like a, a central message throughout that group. And 12 through 17 is, Lech Leha is the, kind of the central theme for those chapters. And it doesn't mean that it's not something you see in the chapters we're in now, but that's something that was established. So it's something to keep looking for as we keep going. So it's still relevant to these chapters. Um, and you'll it'll make sense with uh, 18 and 19 as well. But Lech Leha means go forth or leave. Okay, that's kind of the central theme that we see in all those chapters. And sometimes when I like wrestle this kind of stuff, I have to take a step back. Like I have to go way back and look at the bigger picture so it can make sense. Right? Because you can hone in like I did when I first started reading this. And I was like, this guy sent his daughters out. And like I was so honed in on that that I, I, you could tend to forget the bigger picture of what's happening. So, what is it? A while ago, I had talked to the family about how sometimes it's not about transformation, right? A lot of Christians will try to transform people, or right, that's their whole whole. Uh, motive is to evangelize or transform people or change when a lot of times Yahweh's after preservation. He wants to preserve something. Right? So when you consider this central theme in these chapters, that's basically what defines a Hebrew. What makes you a Hebrew is a lot of this concept of being able to leave your land, leave your mother and father, and leave your habits, right, to cross over. You're essentially, you cross over, you're leaving these three things. And that's what makes you a Hebrew, right? You're leaving everything you know. You could consider land, in our case, as Christianity. He told us to leave a system, right? That You could consider that our land. Um, typically, this is looked at as your will. When he says leave your land, he's talking about your will. 
Um, when it talks about leaving your mother and your father, and these can be literal too, but for the sake of applying this to us today, leaving your mother and, and your father is leaving your intellect and your understanding. Now, and I feel this is important for, for us to just kind of take a step back and think about this before we even tackle the things that are in here. Okay? I mean, how hard are those two things? Mm-hmm. Think about people that are willing to die for their faith, right? It doesn't necessarily make them right. Mm-hmm. Think about a suicide bomber who's willing to die for their faith because they believe right. 100% they're going to go to paradise. Right. right? That doesn't that doesn't mean that level of conviction means that there's truth behind it. That's really good. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I would submit to you that this is even harder than that. to to leave your own will for your life and your own intellect and your own understanding how I mean we all know how hard that is and to leave your habits and the father says to go to some foreign place you don't know right you're going to be in a completely foreign place when you leave all these things in chapter 18 remember that it's kind of interesting. Whenever you have similar patterns happening, so in chapter 18 we had similar patterns. We had Avraham at the door of his tent, mm-hmm. right? We have Lot at the at the city mm-hmm. gate at a threshold. Yeah. You have strangers approaching him, and then you have this aspect of hospitality. And anytime you have those similar patterns in different chapters, there's a comparison or a contrast that you're supposed to pay attention to. So. The aspect of hospitality, if you guys remember last week, hospitality predicated entertaining heaven. Okay? And Adonai himself, as one of the three men, said he declared Sodom and Gomorrah so egregiously evil that he could hear their cries. Right? He declared it that. But then he also said, we're going to go down and see if it needs to be destroyed. Right. Okay, so so seeing if it needed to be destroyed wasn't based on how evil they were, because he already knew that. Right. So what else was he going to see? Right? So in chapter 19, at the very beginning, you have the two angels being sent. Right? You see, that's a pattern too. Two being sent, two by two. You see that all through Scripture. But what they were going to see was if they were going to see if they could even find 10 people deemed to be righteous to save the city, to not destroy it. Which is interesting because um, I don't know how many of you guys were with us when we did that prayer thing with the uh, with uh, Lev Shalom, the, the Jewish community over here. One of the things that they're uh, leader said was they won't even get the Torah out unless there's 10 people present because it takes that many people to have a worthy conversation about the Torah which is interesting because Yahweh said if there's 10 
righteous ones, then it, I won't destroy them, even if there's ten. Yeah. Right. So this is what the angels were going down to see how many righteous people there were, but it wasn't based on homosexuality or rape or you know all of these things that our culture will just slap as a label on Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. We've all heard Christian ministers or preachers if they get on this topic, it's all about homosexuality and how you know crazy things are and all that stuff. But they already knew that before they went down there, right? They didn't have to go down there to find that out. So what they were going down there for was to see if they could find hospitality. So if you guys listen to what Megan said on Boxer, it was very critical, I think, to understanding this scripture because, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure a lot of us were, when you read this, you're judging. You're judging the egregious nature of what's in here. Like you're, I'm appalled at what I'm reading, <laughs> right? But if you heard what Megan said, and she said, and, and I'm not saying verbatim what she said. It was very eloquent how she said it. But basically, you have to let it read you to find these dynamics in you, so that you can then actually go out and do what he wants us to do. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I felt like it was very important because it's kind of a recalibration or a reminder because when you read something so repulsive, you just kind of knee-jerk to just judging it mm -hmm. rather than letting it read me to find out, like, what, what type of, like, do I have, am I a sodomite? Which sounds like a weird question if you judge it by what the Western church will typically associate with Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that make sense? And I think because of that, most of us will just read it and be like, well, we don't have anything to do with this one. But I think that's a huge mistake because Yahweh is, he's, he wants to establish a deeper sense of identity in being Hebrew through this, through Sodom and Gomorrah, because, and I and I'm I'm thoroughly convinced, convicted about the fact that what they were looking for was who is going to host heaven, and not only that, who's going to go out of their way to be. Um, What's the word? Who's going to allow their life to be imposed upon to host heaven? Right? Because ultimately, what, what we have to remember is that Yahweh promised a seed. And so this, when you look at Sodom and you read this, you're like, how can, this, how can they be declared righteous? Right? And then after that, they get saved. And then you read this crazy story about them in a cave. Right, You're just like, what, what the heck? But you have to understand that Yahweh is so redemptive that he is safeguarding, he's safeguarding a seed that ultimately is the ancestry of Ruth. 
right? And who does who does Ruth? Who is her husband in her story? Boaz. What's his? What do we call Boaz? Like I never, I I didn't fully understand kinsman redeemer until we read this Torah portion. Because you have all this mess. <laughs> you have all this mess, right, in seed form that he's safeguarding, and ultimately it leads to the story of Ruth, who is who is in the lineage of one of the one of the children born from this incestuous relationship in this cave. She's a Moabite, a Moabite, right? So I can't say that. Right? And then she marries the one who redeems all of her family lineage. I had to really like wrestle with this because and it took me like up like till two days ago to get over that. Like this guy just offered his daughters. Like it took me two days to wrestle with that. Or I mean up until two days to wrestle with that. And one thing that the Holy Spirit highlighted to me was righteousness is not perfection. And I think because a lot of the cultural issues that, that we have dealt with or been ingrained with as far as how we've been taught in Christianity naturally tends to remove you from, from inserting yourself into this text because... You may not struggle with homosexuality, so you're just like, oh, that's not for me, sure. right? Sure. But when you set that aside and you can actually dig into it, one thing that was encouraging to me is I began to realize righteousness is not perfection. There are men and women all throughout Scripture, mostly men, that do egregious things. And they're still deemed righteous because Yahweh, in his sovereignty, no matter what we do, he is going to do what he said. Right? Think about King David. I love King David. Right? And for a while, I didn't, I didn't know all of the things that he was involved with in Scripture. But I remember the first time I read the story of Bathsheba, and I can't remember her husband's name right now. What's his name? Uriah. Uriah, right? He's like a fierce warrior. Well, David is is essentially like a creeper. <laughs> and he's watching her naked, right? And then he decides, because he's a king and he has authority, he's going to send Uriah off to a battle that he knows is a suicide mission so he can take his wife. Or how about Abraham, right? He like he lies and says his wife is his sister and gives her up to the Pharaoh. Like So then I started thinking, why why is this why is this particular thing more egregious to me than all these other things, right? The point is throughout all of scripture you have men doing these these things that are utter violations of somebody else, somebody else's covenant, their own covenant, 
right? And there are egregious things that I could never see myself doing, but all through Scripture you have these men doing these things, and they're still deemed righteous. So why is that? Right? It's because righteousness doesn't mean perfection, and that is Yahweh's mercy. Right? I read a, I read a, um, a commentary, and somebody commented on it, and they're like, how can you serve a God who who would let all these things happen and him offer up his daughters and he could intervene and he didn't. How could you serve a God like that? And you could tell this person was just like, I would never serve a God that's like that. When in reality, to follow that logic out, if that guy wanted Yahweh to intervene and destroy Lot and his family because he wasn't perfect, then what are you asking for? Right? If you're like, I can't serve a God like that, then on the flip side, you want Yahweh to intervene and destroy all of them. Which means we're doomed. Like we're all doomed. Right? But I think I think what stands out in the scripture is the fact that what they found righteous and what they were testing when they got to the city gate. Lot bowed down to them. He recognized that they needed to be honored as strangers in his city. And he asked them to come to his home so he could wash their feet. He could feed them. He could basically host these strangers that showed up at the city gate. And they said, no, we'll sleep in the plaza. And they were test they were testing him because he could have been like, fine. But he begged them. To, to stay in his house, right? He was willing to be imposed upon to host these strangers, right? Like I talked about last week, during this time, the only way strangers could have any relief or really travel over a great distance was if they were hosted by somebody who they didn't know, who would wash their feet, who would feed them, who would do all that stuff. So that was the test, ultimately, was is there going to be ten people that are willing to to let heaven impose upon their life? And when you put it in that context, we, we can all get read yeah. about if we're willing to let the kingdom of heaven impose upon our life in the midst of complete darkness. Or complete, maybe you know, maybe you don't think of it as darkness. It could be complete uh, wealth. It could be, you know, whatever uh, whatever you occupy your time with. Are you li- are you willing to let heaven impose on you to host heaven? And that's why they said. That's why they deemed it egregiously sinful. But said, well, let us go see though. If it needs to be destroyed, if we can find 10. Well, they couldn't find 10, they only found four. Right? And part of it was if you go back, do you remember mom teaching on, um, I can't remember which chapter it was, but there was, the, there was a war between five kings and four kings. You guys remember that? I remember that. The. The four kings were the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, 
and Zeboim. These are the four cities. These two cities, you hear about it a little bit, but you don't get too much detail, but these were all kind of in close proximity to each other. And the battle, the battles with the four kings were the kings of these cities. And what's interesting is when you look into the names of the kings of all these cities, um, and you'll have to forgive me, I didn't write their names down, but I did look into the meanings of their names. When you look at the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, both of their names mean double evil. So double evil and the names of these kings had to do with idolatry and rebellion. The reason why their names meant double evil is because they were engaged in idolatry, rebellion. So they were engaged in evil against Yahweh, but also evil against fellow man. These two. These two kings were primarily engaged in evil against Yahweh. Not necessarily fellow man, just evil against Yahweh. Which is interesting because these two cities get destroyed and these don't. The cities that engage in evil against him and evil against each other are the cities that got destroyed. And I thought that was interesting because what does that say about the father? Ultimately, he's saying out of his sovereignty, he's saying you can, you can violate me, which I don't necessarily care about as much as you violating other people. So like when I look at my kids, right, like somebody can violate our relationship, they can discredit me, they can whatever, right, they can do all those things. I can even have a son or a daughter rebel against me, but that's going to be different when they start doing that same thing to each other. Does that make sense? So I thought that was interesting about the four cities. And another thing about the, just the generational mercies of Yahweh is when he says that he rained down sulfur and fire upon these two cities and destroyed these two cities. It's interesting because when you look into sulfur and like acid rain essentially is what it was when he said he rained down sulfur and fire. He was raining down acid rain. And when you read the scriptures, it talks about, remember when, when Lot picked the most fruitful, you know, the most, um, the most fertile soil area happened to be Sodom. And he picked this place. And what Yahweh was doing when he destroyed it is he didn't just destroy it for that time, but he destroyed it in such a way that the soil was no longer fertile anymore because of the sulfur and because of what he rained down, he caused that actual lot of land to not be able to reproduce anymore. Hmm. 
want to hit on I want to hit more on righteousness because I think that's a that's a tough one, right? Even when we start to look at our own lives in evaluating you know, or letting letting ourselves be read as far as righteousness and whatnot. And when you consider Lot who hosted he was he was willing to be imposed upon to host heaven but then ultimately was willing to give his daughters up to be done to whatever these people pleased right all these people that were essentially banging on his door the whole community was banging on his house saying who are those people we <laughs> send them out we want to have relations with them right i mean that just like the language doesn't even I don't even think maybe it correlates. But I mean, they're basically saying, like, we're going to rate your guests. It makes me think, honestly, of um, like a Sodom-type environment would be like prison. If you think of, uh, Missy was talking about Shalom, there's like this spectrum. You have hospitality on one side. And you have violence on the other side, which the Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. So you have the spectrum from Hamas to hospitality. And that's really the, the, the primary sin of why they got destroyed is because think about it. What is, what is, what is it to be, re- to be received in a hospitable way versus what is it to be received in a violent way? Think about if you had to go to prison and you had somebody take you under their wing, make sure you were taken care of, make sure you knew the, the protocol, how things worked, make sure they took care of you, versus going into prison and people are banging on your cell and they're like, you know. It also makes me think of, you know, a lot of a lot of people say like America's modern day Sodom and we're going to be judged. And I'm, and I'm not saying there's not those elements of how they're talking about it. But I think Sodom modern day is people in the most simplest form for us to understand or appropriate is people not willing to to go beyond themselves for Yahweh's sake. Because that's what hospitality is. Not go, you're you're going beyond yourself for somebody else. <laughs> right? If we take Sodom out of the realm of like all this rape and homosexual, like take that's just a byproduct. Remember when Mom said idolatry leads to sexual sin? That's a byproduct of what the real issue is, right. which is. The Hebrew identity, and that's what Yahweh was safeguarding. That's what he was protecting the seed of. And it doesn't matter. This is where there's those two things, right? This is not a license to do whatever you want. But on on some level, it doesn't matter if you're not perfect. Because in his sovereignty, if he deems you righteous, he's safeguarding something for the next generation. Think of think of righteousness this way. Righteousness is 
It's an intersection between his character and his actions. So out of Yahweh's character to safeguard the seed of what he promised, out of that character, he decides that Lot and his daughters who have an incestuous relationship is going to eventually produce Ruth and eventually that's going to produce Yeshua, right? right? That's He decided that. Right. 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 So take yourself out of it. Righteousness is his character and his decision making. And if you happen to have something to do with that, like I said, it's not a license to do whatever you want, right? I don't know if anybody would run around and say, like, well, he said I'm righteous, right? I would be like, <laughs> right? It's not a license to do whatever you want, but that's his sovereignty. That's his mercy. And somebody who says, well, I can't worship a God who didn't intervene in this situation. He did intervene, right? I think when you consider both Lot and his daughters, it's it's a situation where, with Lot specifically, his soul knew what was right. His soul knew what to do. He remembered the ways of Abraham and what he was supposed to do in hosting, but ultimately all of that was superseded by the culture that he was involved in. which I think is one of those points of, of letting this, this Torah portion read us, is it's not... Well, it's weird to say, because in, in this story, I guess it was enough, but you can be like Lot in that you, you know what to do, and you kind of do what you know what to do, but then when you follow through to the end of the story, Yahweh's got to drag you out. He's got to drag you to a place to save you. Right? So I think when we look at this story and we let this story read us, we have to evaluate, like, are we being overwhelmed by the culture so much that we can't follow through on what we know to be right in hosting heaven and inviting him in and letting heaven impose upon our lives? Are we going to do that to the point to where Heaven isn't having to drag us out. So in Second uh, Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, Peter talks about Lot being righteous. And I think the main point about that is, is that Yahweh won't allow those he chooses for righteousness to be lost. Like Yahweh chose Lot and his line for righteousness, so he wouldn't allow him to be lost, which is why he sent two angels to test him, to be invited into his house, to eventually drag him and his wife and his two daughters out. So I think, at least in my mind, and this this is... This is the point up until I was able to wrestle through this whole thing of like, how can you, how can this be? How can this be the chosen 
you know, somebody who Peter in a later scripture says he's righteous. How can that be? And the only thing I can I can look to the scriptures and find out is that righteousness is not about being perfect, which should be encouraging to us about Yahweh's character that you and I don't have to be perfect. Right? And then when you consider Lot's daughters, there's some commentary. I mean, it's all over the board. Like You can see people wrestling with this. Some commentaries say how heroic his daughters were because they were like save, you know, uh, saving the bloodline, <laughs> which I don't, like I'm not in that camp. <laughs> but I think... When people have a, a when they when they have some inner sense of righteousness, but it's somehow twisted or corrupted by the culture they've yeah. been in or influenced by, yeah. then people will tr- people will try to accomplish what Yahweh called them to by taking it into their own hands. Yeah. And so you have this on on Lot's part and on his daughter's part. You have this inner sense of righteousness, but they're applying it in a way that that they're doing it in their own intellect and understanding, in their own will. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, even though they did that, and you can see the enemy trying to derail the, the whole lineage and the, and the whole program of safeguarding his promise, even though the enemy's trying to do that, you can see Yahweh safeguards it even, yeah. even yeah. then. So I think the fact that it seems like there was a lot of stirring about this Torah portion because of this Torah portion. There was a lot that was stirred, and I think that we shouldn't be we shouldn't be unsettled by the fact that this was stirring us all up and di- for different reasons. Um, and I had to I I had to feel throughout the course of the week that the fact that I'm so stirred about this, and part of it I'm sure is the greater context that we're we're going down this path in the first place of the law, the Father's loving instructions, the Torah portions. We're going down this and we're actually having to look at and be familiar with the Father's instructions in the Word and the actual Torah, which is hard to wrestle with. I think that's partially why most people just kind of like, yeah, we don't gotta, we don't gotta deal with all that. Um, I think that context lends itself to the fact that 
this is stirring us up. But when you dig into the Word and you really look at the root cause of what the primary sin was and why they got destroyed, after all, was not... It didn't have anything to do with twisted sexuality or perverted sexuality. Obviously, that's what we see going on, but that wasn't... That was a byproduct of them living in a culture of violence, which is the opposite of hospitality. Right? If you're so inhospitable that you're violent, that you're going to rape and pillage and take, and you're not going to think outside of yourself, and you're only concerned with yourself, right? That could not be literal. That there could I can think of people that I've had relationships with that it's like all you do... This all you do is is take. You have no concept of outside of yourself, right? You, you know, and I think we have to take it to that level. And I think when we get stirred, let that stirring push you to wrestle with this stuff, so that you can actually get to the bottom of what Yahweh's after, which is which is I believe the identity that He's given us, which is to go forth and to leave. Yeah. To leave, you know, your land, your mother and father, your habits. Leave your your self will, your intellect, your understanding, and that's a hard thing to do. And when they went to look, if there was even ten, they were looking and testing for anybody that would go outside of themselves for their sake. That's what they meant when they said, "Let let us go and see if we should destroy Sodom and Gomorrah." Now, there's there's a lot of other elements in here that I have like dove into over the course of the week, and it, man, it's hard to know what the Holy Spirit is, how far we're supposed to go into these various things. I know that um, this, what I'm saying tonight, doesn't doesn't satisfy whatever wrestling or questions that everybody may have, right? Obviously, I feel like we could study this one chapter for six months and still have questions, right? But I feel like what the Holy Spirit was leading was was getting down to this baseline issue and this baseline identity, which is something that preserves his intent for his people for generations to come which is that you are Hebrew people. You are somebody who crosses over. You are willing to go forth and leave. And if you notice when they dragged him out and he bargained with them on where he could go and all that, and they basically said, don't look back. So I think what the Holy Spirit is highlighting for us in this Torah portion to be established, to be written on our hearts, is a deepening of who we are at the base level but also, as we begin to walk that out, that we're not looking back like Lot, thinking about all your cattle and all your right. wealth and all your land and all this stuff that yeah. you had in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah. Right? He had a very um, he had a very wealthy household, and he was willing to he wanted to stay even with everything going on around him. Yeah. Right? He wanted to stay in that environment for the sake of economic 
um, status or wealth or profitability. And so, man, there's, you know, for us, I think this whole process that we've been in, you could feel like worn down, right? You could feel like this is too intense. This is so intense, right? Like this would be easier not to do any of this. It would be easier not to be read by the living word, yeah. right? Like that would be easier to just go back. Yeah. But they specifically, they dragged him out. That's his mercy. They saved him. They dragged him out. They knew what was going to happen. They knew. Right. But they dragged him out and said, don't go back. They even told him, go where you're going to go and stay there because we're, we're about to destroy this place. Yeah. And told him, don't look back. And I think that's a message for us too because yeah. we've our family has gone through dynamics and I've, I've watched people or talked to people struggle with going back, right? It's the, it's the whole loophole issue and we're at a we're at a place where we're we're just scratching the surface of Torah portions but yet I feel like for our family we're so deep we are so far in (laughs) that it would be utter foolishness to go back because then you're just like in lukewarm territory so There's a lot to dig into this, and I know that it's difficult because I I find it. I'm digging in every week as much as I possibly can. I'm getting as deep as I possibly can, and then it's like the next Torah portion comes up. So it's, you know, you're trying to balance everything. So he's giving us the opportunity to build every week greater understanding of his character, right, at the end of the day, he wants us to understand his character because otherwise we can fall into the trap of like, what a harsh God and how come he wouldn't intervene? And if he's such a good God, why did he let all this, all these things fail to see what his character is? And he's letting us build on that every week. But it is difficult and it is, um, it is intense. And I think there is the opportunity to be read in this is what what is there in me that I may act like Lot where he's got to drag me kicking and screaming out of the place where yeah. I would rather be yeah. surrounded by all these things, compromise, not willing to host heaven, right? Even if you say, I'm willing to host heaven. Mm-hmm. But then once once they're in your house, then, then it's like, then the rubber's going to meet the road. Right? right? So I'm sure mom has a lot more on this. I talked with her. She had a whole different, coming from a a completely different angle um, on some of these things. It's pretty quick and simple tonight. Um, But my prayer is just that we would be able to really understand what is righteousness and what does it mean to to walk in righteousness, to understand how Yahweh sees righteousness, how how he will make decisions based on his character that will actually cause people to be righteous, regardless of whatever imperfection you may have.
right? Because none of us are perfect. None of us are... No, nobody's perfect. But Yahweh uses, that's his character. He'll use imperfect people to achieve his purpose and to safeguard things for the next generation, right? This house yeah. is not perfect. Right. Nobody in here is perfect. But I believe because we're willing to leave... I mean, we didn't just talk about leaving Christianity. We've talked about throughout the whole last night season, leaving all systems, right? Leaving what we, we left. He said, go forth with not knowing what the next 10 steps are going to be, but just the next step. And we were willing to leave. We were willing to leave habits and traditions. And that's why I believe we are part of the remnant that is safeguarding what his intent is for future generations. So I think with that, it's it's a with that lens you can cut through the craziness and the chaos of trying to interpret all of these repulsive things based off of your emotions. It goes back to what Megan was talking about on Boxer, that you have to completely get out of that paradigm and allow the Torah portion to read you because in her testimony, if you guys didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. She struggled with not being able to be charitable and hospitable to the community. But basically what Yahweh connected the dots, and you can you know, correct me if I misquote anything, was that all of those things had to be worked out in her first, which is exactly what's happening with this Torah portion. I mean, it just goes to show how when you talk about hospitality as the opposite of the spectrum of violence, what all that can develop into. Just because somebody wasn't willing to go outside of themselves. Which, man, in 20 years of discipleship, intense discipleship, I could probably say... That's the basis of anybody that has real struggles in marriage, finances, like whatever the case may be. Anybody that has addictions, anybody that has just crazy hard struggles, it's ultimately you could boil it down to that. They're not willing to go outside of themselves. That's really good. Yeah. So... I know there may be, I know some of the younger ones had questions on some of this stuff. And it, man, it is hard to reconcile, but. Um, yeah, it's hard to reconcile, but I think it's, it's good to just get to the baseline of, you know, what it is Yahweh's after, what he's looking for. Mm-hmm what he's requiring of us as people who are willing to leave and to be sent. And also his perspective on having enough and being willing to destroy something rather than rebuild it. Right. And it does have primarily to do with, because you can violate him, but he's still going to have his way no matter what. But there's something about how we interact with each other Right? And some people may question, like, we talk a lot about lateral covenant and vertical covenant. Well, here you go. Yahweh is more concerned with, with our covenants and how we interact with each other 
in terms of him <laughs> judging us, yeah. he's going to judge us more harshly based on how we interact with each other and if we're willing to go outside of ourselves versus people who are just going to take whatever they want to take and they're going to do it by force, right? So there's a lot of uh, parallels I saw in this. Um, like today, my, my personal day was one of like almost everything I tried to put my hands to today did not work out necessarily to where I kind of came in a frequency. I did get home and got to a place, but, um, and of course, preparing for tonight, one of the things, the first thing the Father checked me on was my own personal frequency. Uh, and, and it was one that, like, we're about to, um, to give. And a thing that was brought to me personally was, I can't give in the condition that I was because I allowed my circumstances, my day to affect me uh, because there's two cycles. There's, there's a cycle of uh, resentment and it usually stirs from anger, uh, let down, like a, a lot of different things. But then there's also a cycle of appreciation and the two attract different things. And for myself, so use it like I heard the word wealth, wealth, and, and, and we understand that under like as finances, but wealth can be applied if you look at the meanings of wealth. Uh, it can be as simple as value. It can be bountiful. It can be not lacking. It, it can be plentiful. And you could even take this into the context of a marriage. If I come into my marriage it, without a aspect of appreciation or without a heart of gratitude, I can't give and have it mean anything. And it doesn't reciprocate back necessarily. Yet it can be felt in the smallest thing given when it is done in a heart of gratitude or a heart of appreciation. And so it was something that was more personal to me. Uh, one, because I came into my household and I could literally tell I was the problem in my house when I came in because that's not what was existing there when I like I displaced something and so in relation to giving oftentimes we don't do things for gain but our strength and our ability to give out of a heart desiring to fulfill or desiring to uh, be hospitable or desiring to overflow is what attracts the word wealth and I had heard it from multiple angles of like if I want my marriage to be described as a wealthy situation it depends on how much am I giving out of gratitude into my marriage and the same is in kingdom how much am I giving out of gratitude versus am I coming in with it's easy to be negative that's easy. What is hard is to recognize and make a shift. And knowing that there's two cycles, and like perfection, I mean, it is beautiful that the Torah portion, when they're describing righteousness, it's not perfection. And trying to be on a cycle of appreciation or on, on the uh, 
cycle of gratitude in our giving is how we position ourselves. So I'm going to pass the bucket around for those who uh, have cash or check and uh, others who do text to give. Uh, the market is tied. And it's feeling like there's an invitation tonight and I know that that sounds redundant because we're always talking about invitations and there's an invitation in this and there's an invitation in that but it's the, the reality is that there is always an invitation because of his faithfulness because of his mercy because of his character and because it is a choice on our end that there truly is invitation after invitation after invitation and for tonight and with this Torah portion in particular I feel like there is an invitation that Yahweh would want to make clear for us that Yahweh would want to make clear for us before we leave this place together and there were some things that were connecting in my spirit while dad was releasing things that Yahweh has set a tone for in our past and then given us time to respond and I'm feeling kind of like the word would be that that time is up. And it's specific to this Torah portion because it has to do with looking back. And it has to, and it has to do with drawing a line in your resolve or in your flippancy, maybe, to continuously be dragged out, kicking and screaming. That's really good. So give me a moment while I kind of put some things together. But the question that I heard tonight was, who's going to host heaven and allow their lives to be imposed upon? That has been the question that got us to this place. Will you be a son? Will you be my daughter that will allow heaven to impose my will upon your life. Because we kind of collided with this. Like, did anyone blatantly see or know from your very first yes that brought you to this place, literally brought you to Kingdom Heirs, brought you to this community, brought you to one another, were you, were you fully aware at that time what you were saying yes to? 
Absolutely not. Would anyone say yes? <laughs> Absolutely not. And so there has been this question looming over our heads. Are you willing to be imposed upon every aspect of your life, every mindset, every belief, every tradition, the way that you raise your children, the way that you talk, the way that you present yourself, the way that you represent my name, the way that you handle conflict, the way that you host, the way that you yeah. honor, yeah. the way that you speak. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the colliding that's taken place with heaven as he imposes his will on you. Asking you over and over again or inviting you to leave your land, your will, what you've known, your understanding, leave every habit in your life. That's really good. And at yeah. first thought, habit yeah. is something we think of as like yeah. a bad habit. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's literally just the way that you do things, the way that you have known things, the way that you have lived over and over that, that is so familiar to you, it is you. And Yahweh says, can I impose all of my will, all of my understanding, all of my habits, my culture on you, and would you be willing to receive it all and say yes over and over and over again until you are no longer recognizable? Come on. And... We say yes right. when we're asked because it's the right thing to do. And I don't mean that like, but I, I mean, it feels like, well, I, I'm not going to say no to Yahweh. Right. You, you know, but at, but at some point, the yes alongside kicking and screaming has to stop. Because you will not, you won't be able to, to be a host, a hospitable host of heaven if, if we continue to look back. Because looking back is an absolute sign of ingratitude. And really good. Uh, uh, until now, looking back, there has been so much grace and so much mercy in the looking back. But but there will be a point in time where we look back and it's a pillar of salt. Yeah. <laughs> where it will be the end of your life to look back. It's no longer just, well, yeah, my life would end if I run over that whatever. Like if I, yeah, if I break through that line, 
and embrace fully what he drug me out of, sure, then I can understand that. But Yahweh is establishing in us, especially in this season of expansion, this wineskin of expansion, expansion, a level of conviction that you wouldn't even be tempted to turn around. That when the press unto righteousness gets even more intense, that you would run harder to embrace him, draw nearer versus that old inclination to run towards him while you're turned around. I was reminded I was reminded of that word at mom and dad's house. I don't remember the night it was, but it was about um, our awakened state and how we, what, what kind of heart's position we were found in when Yahweh awakened us to essentially our identity. Hmm. And he was pressing a heart of gratitude in us in our awakened state. Do you remember that? Yeah? Okay. I'm just making sure because I can reiterate it if not. But it was, I I, I guess I want to go back to that because we all were dragged out of a place. Yeah. Come on. In his mercy and in his grace, not because we were righteous, but because he set us apart and said, I'm deeming you righteous because I'm safeguarding the next generation through you. So he dragged us out of a place. At some point, we, we, we can't continue to put ourselves in positions where he has to drag us out over and over and over again. But that we would be so rooted in our identity that we would preserve his intentions on our own behalf. So that question about who's going to host heaven and allow their lives to be imposed upon, that to me is the definition of a follower of the way. Someone who will continuously host heaven, allowing their life to be imposed upon over and over and over again, not just on a Friday night, Not just when you're in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Not just when I'm feeling, but when it, all the time, but when it, when that pressure is so intense that you know it's a moment where you typically 
would be characterized by turning around. Yeah, yeah. And looking back. But if this is a season where we are walking as followers of the way and not just identifying as followers of the way, then you are willingly following. Right. No more being dragged out, kicking and screaming, but you are willingly following with a heart to host and beg him, be hungry for him to impose, like for you to be imposed on in your life. That is a follower of the way. And it's super inconvenient. But it's that kind of complacency that it's righteousness, not to perfection, but in the sense of your heart's position. That you would be hungry for that versus inconvenienced out of a heart of gratitude for the awakening that's taken place in your life. So I don't know how that looks for each of us to activate that, but I would want us to ask ourselves, ask the Spirit to search to search our hearts as to what is my response? What is my go-to? How do I respond to you when I feel like your will is being imposed on my life? Come on. How do I respond? What is my first thought? How do I act? In the, in the smallest of things, because if we're stepping into a place of righteousness on behalf of the next generation, that shadows are our foundation, our ancestors, our, that heritage, that is a legacy that we are we are still far from in comparison to the level of complacency and my will, my intellect, my understanding, my habits that we're having to be stripped of. Right? I mean, do you do you feel like we're like we're still we're still there? I mean, and I don't mean that in the sense that we haven't moved or that we haven't, but, but, but to be characterized by willingly hosting heaven to that extent, we, we have work to do, and that work starts here. So, um, I just think that it's the, the 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 further we get into Torah portions, 
you can feel that building on our identity that preserves his intentions. And the, the, the thicker that identity becomes, it's like the, the less we should want to look back, but, but, it, but I think that, that the louder things get around us in the press, it can feel even more tempting to turn around. So for me, leaving tonight, my heart is positioned in this place of recognizing his mercy from the beginning to drag me out when it was a response to me crying out, and I know I say that a lot, but that's because I remind myself of that often. When the, when, when the press unto righteousness gets loud and he's pressing things out of me and I just, I get so overwhelmed by it that, that I remind myself and I ask the Spirit to remind me that you pulled me out you dragged me out of a place because I was lost and empty and broken in that place. So then when he responds, and in his grace and in his mercy, he says, I'm going to teach you how to host heaven, and I'm going to teach you how to, how to transform earth in the way that you host it. But that's going to require you to be so so transformed into righteousness so that heaven can literally find a place in you, right? That's what we were talking about, about that inward, like looking looking inward, is that heaven has to find a place in you. You have to be a host. So it's not just about setting an environment of hospitality and then we compartmentalize and say, yeah, I'm really good at creating an atmosphere during my quiet time. I'm really good at what, whatever whatever you would see hospitality as, but you literally are meant to be the host of heaven. And when he asks you to host him, are you, are you kicking and screaming because hosting heaven means that some things are going to have to get pushed out that literally cannot reside where he resides. Or he will find another host. And he's not even asking us to be perfect. But simply to be willing. But to be consistent in our willingness. That's the only thing that's been missing. And I don't mean that in this belittling. Obviously, there's so much. I just mean... All that's missing, it doesn't have to be this big overwhelm. All that's missing is our willingness and our consistency in that. So when you take what was released tonight and you activate it and you do something with it, ask yourself, 
a couple of questions. Am I willing to allow my life to be imposed upon? And I would encourage you and say that every single one of you are. Or you would not have endured to this place. At the same time, it's a question that has to be asked because the level to which we are going to host is nothing that we've prepared for before. So, yes, up until this point, or you wouldn't have endured the process to get here, but to host heaven so that earth can become it and that you can know his thoughts and his will and you can be the one that literally imposes his will on earth is a whole other level of responsibility that we have never had to position ourselves or be equipped in to sustain and to execute or administrate before. The other question to ask ourselves as we activate this Torah portion would be, what is it in me that would be like Lot needing to be dragged out? Or his wife, who, both to my understanding, fully aware, fully knowing, fully seeing, being dragged out, being led, still had to turn around. What is it in us? Because if we can get to that, if we can have that identified in us, then we're going to be able to preserve his intentions. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.